What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Warrior Soul Podcast. My name is Chris Albert, and this podcast is where we deliver tools, tactics, strategies, and ideas to help the U.S. military veteran community and anybody else willing to listen to live their best lives. And from time to time, I am on here talking about you know things that you guys can do out there, but I'm also talking to people from the community and people from around the world uh, who do some awesome things. And Today's guest is is somebody we've had on before. His name is Josh Guerrero. He is a Marine Corps veteran. Uh, he started a podcast a while ago called the All Around Adventure Podcast. He's done some really awesome things. He's been around the world. Uh, he's an archaeologist by training, and um, he just completed a really awesome trek. Josh, welcome to the show, man. And hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Been looking forward to catching up with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. So. Uh, Tell us, what what's this trip you just took, man? Well, I decided to do a through hike across the entire uh, state of Michigan. And this was a little bit of a fallback plan because I wanted to do an arduous journey, a long journey to raise money for a nonprofit that helps veterans. And, you know, and the last time we talked, Chris, uh, the, initially the idea was to do one in South America mm-hmm. for 2020. But of course, I think we can all pretty much guess how that went. So <laughs> so had to uh, shift gears a little bit. I still wanted to stay true to the mission to raise money for uh, this nonprofit called American Veterans Archaeological Recovery. So I decided to do one uh, domestically. And uh, I learned about the North Country National Scenic Trail, which is a 4,800 mile trail that runs from North Dakota all the way to uh, Vermont. And the Michigan section of this trail is the longest section out of any of the states that the trail goes through. It's just under 1,200 miles long, which was about the same distance that I was planning on doing in South America anyways. So it seemed an ideal fit and a, and a perfect place for me to still do something amazing, still have an amazing adventure and still raise money for veterans. So that's ultimately what I decided to do. And I started it on the Wisconsin-Michigan state line in August uh, 22nd, and I just wrapped up uh, this past Wednesday. And I also uh, made my fundraising goal of uh, $10,000 for this nonprofit. So successful trip all around. Awesome, man. Awesome. So how do you, how do you prep for something like this? What, uh, what, what were you, uh, getting together? Right. Well, as far as physical training goes, I just kind of went along with the mantra that we've always had in the Marine Corps and that is train how you fight. So Mm -hmm. if I'm going to be expected to hike miles upon miles, day in and day out during this trek. That's exactly what I did in training. So I just grabbed my, uh, my go ruck, uh, GR two, put a 45 pound plate in it and just did a lot of walking and some other things, uh, to supplement that a lot of mobility and flexibility and movement, um, you know, just kind of sort of to go along with that. But that was really the bulk of what I did is just, if I'm going to hike, I I'm going to prepare by hiking. And then as far as uh, gear goes, uh, really tried to get as light as I possibly could without compromising other things too, like durability and so on and so forth. And then also, since I was self-financing the entire cost of this trek, I had to be somewhat within a budget too, uh, because I really, I made the commitment to self-finance the entire cost of this trek because I really wanted all the donations that came in for the fundraiser to go directly towards the nonprofit to help uh, veterans. So had to get all the the gear, get get a tent, get a sleeping bag. Um, I decided to go with uh, the Osprey uh, Atmos uh, 65 for my pack. 
And then, of course, um, had to work out all the planning and logistics, look over a bunch of maps, uh, download apps that I think I might need to use on my phone while I'm out on the trail. So lots of moving parts. And that was a little bit of the fun part. And it all paid off, of course, because ultimately it was a successful uh, through hike. I had to do a little bit of learning along the way, as we all do, no matter what journey we start in life. But it it all worked out well. And I was really pleased on how it all went. How long did it take and what time of year were you doing it in? Right. Well, let's see. So August 22nd is when I started and December 15th is when I finished. So just a little under four months. Yeah. And, and that was, that was about the time frame I was looking at, uh, because, um, I, I kind of sort of guesstimated at first it made, I may be hiking about an average of, of about 12 miles per day. But then of course, as the trek went on, I, um, was putting in a lot more miles. Uh, I was averaging about 15 to 17 miles a day. The further on I got the longest day that I did was 20 miles. Mm -hmm. But of course, um, I inevitably had to throw some days off in there. So that way I could resupply, um, do a little bit of resting, um, you know, catch up on social media posts and do other outreach uh, stuff. So those were thrown in there as well. And I kind of sort of set it up to where after, after every four or five hiking days, I would throw in um, a zero day for that. And then I did take about a week off around Thanksgiving so I could be at home with my family for that too, before I got things uh, going again. So, so yeah, just about three and a half months is, is what it took me. That's cool. How much food were you carrying with you? I'm always fascinated by the food aspect of these tra- tracks. Like, were you carrying like MREs with you? Did you did you, um, you got resupplied along the way where you, you stopping at certain points? Right. Well, yes, uh, actually MRE, MRE, strangely enough, were, uh, part of my, my food pack. And then I also got a lot of, uh, other mostly just ready to eat stuff. Um, I decided to try to go stoveless for this. Like I know a lot of through hikers like to bring like a gas stove or maybe like a small wood stove to like boil water. And so they could, put them in like dehydrated pouches, like mountain house meals and things along those lines. But I really didn't care to do a whole lot of chores while I was out there. You know, if I was hungry, I just wanted to eat right away. So yes, MREs were with me. There's these uh, things that I got to called the meal to go bars uh, from this company called Green Belly. And I really wish I had grabbed some uh, to show you, but they're just these little square, um, like oat bars and uh, have, they have a ton of calories in them, a lot of protein, a lot of fiber. Um, Mm -hmm. Just like a single package is about 700 calories. So that helped me replenish a lot of calories uh, lost. So that was really the bulk of what I took. And I did prepare resupply boxes that my brother could ship to me to post office post offices along the trail, but I ended up not really needing him to do that very much because Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't too terribly difficult to come across like gas stations or maybe just small grocery stores where I could get things like trail mix and beef jerky and and protein bars and things like that. But really, I found that I didn't really end up needing to eat a whole lot of food along the way. It it, it was kind of weird. I just didn't really get very hungry being out there uh, on the trail. And when I was moving, I wasn't really thinking about that very much. My mind was more or less preoccupied with getting in the miles and, you know, making sure I'm maintaining situational awareness while I'm deep in the woods. But then when I would stop though, Chris, and have a zero day in a town or something like that, I was just a ravenous beast and I'm eating up everything in sight. Um, you know, I, I don't think there was ever a time 
when I would go eat at a restaurant or at a bar or something like that and not order an appetizer and probably a dessert too, just to get get all those calories uh, back in. But, you know, being an archaeologist, I've kind of found that that's not too uncommon to the way our ancient ancestors have always done things like nomadic people, you know, they would, and just, and just hunter gatherers in general, you know, they would go days without maybe eating a lot because they're trying to gather enough food to make a meal, or they're trying to hunt down a large animal. So it may be a while for uh, people to uh, go that people would go without eating. And then they would just gorge and just eat a lot once they have successfully made a kill or gathered enough food to make a big feast with. So I guess I was more or less getting back to the basics when it came to, to eating my food out on the trail. It's uh, were, were there a lot of other people on the trail or, or was it, was it just you? Um, it, it, for, for the most part though, it, it was just me. There were a couple of times where I would find some other long distance hikers, but very few and far between. And the only times I really saw other people out on the trail is when I got to more, a more touristy area, like, uh, Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore in the Upper Peninsula. Very, very busy. It's a very popular tourist destination in northern Michigan. And so, um, and the North Country Trail runs through the entire length of uh, that lakeshore. So, saw a lot of people there and also to Quantamon Falls, another very, very popular tourist destination. And so, I would see uh, people there. And it actually was a little bit overwhelming seeing so many people because, again, up before I made it to these locations, I would probably hike over a hundred to 200 miles without seeing another human like out there on the trail. So Mm. being around that many people all at once was, was a a little bit overwhelming just because, you know, solitude was something that I was more or less encompassed with for so long. Wow. Wow. Um, with, um, with, uh, that, like, so one of the things I was thinking about is you started in august and you finished a few days ago and it's december right and we're talking Mm -hmm. you know michigan um the uh the climate there varies quite a bit during that time you know like the summertime there's a lot of bugs and things like that and then you know you get into winter time it could could get very cold um you know gear wise did you switch gear out along the way um and 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 bring on some more stuff for the cold weather Yes, uh, absolutely. And you're right, though, Michigan, our climate here can fluctuate on the drop of a dime, really. I mean, for the most part, though, being in the Upper Peninsula in the late summertime, I was pretty much able to just rock a shorts and t-shirts a lot and um, much to the detriment because, yes, there were some low areas where I was kind of in like a bog and it would be like mosquito hell. So, and these types of mosquitoes up there, they practically just eat deep for breakfast, you know? So (laughs) I would just like look on my shoulder and they're big enough to bite through your clothes too. So I would see like maybe four, four mosquitoes on my shoulder at, at, um, at a time. And then also, uh, being so close to Lake Superior, especially when I made it to the Eastern side of the upper peninsula, the trail follows, uh, the Lake Superior shore quite a bit which was beautiful to see, but quite frankly, Chris, that lake scares the hell out of me because mm-hmm. it could just change the entire forecast if it wanted to. Like it could, the forecast could call for no rain uh, or like almost a 0% chance of rain all day, but then that lake could just decide to throw one at us if it wanted to just throw a storm right. our way. So it was beautiful being along it, but it was eerie <laughs> at the same time because I just knew how powerful of a force of nature that was. But then it seemed like we almost skipped fall 
like the the weather just plummeted for the most part, like right after Halloween. And I blame this all actually on everyone who started raving about Christmas as soon as Halloween was over, <laughs> it, because as soon as Halloween was over, it snowed. And um, and I had to yeah put my pants on and I had to, uh, you know, layer up a little bit more and uh, switch out my my baseball cap for an actual like a uh, beanie to stay warm. And then during Thanksgiving break, that's when I had to, uh, you know, bust out my thermal leggings and um, a few other layers, uh, too, because when I started hiking after Thanksgiving, I was hiking and the temperatures would probably be in like the low 20s. And there were even a couple of times when I was in my tent where it would maybe be like 50s during the day, which is really nice hiking weather. But then at night, it would drop below freezing and I would wake up in the morning and be scraping like frost off the inside of my tent. And then it took so much energy to just to get myself out of my sleeping bag and embrace the cold oh, like man. that. So, um, so yeah, so over the course of this trek, I was hiking in shorts and t-shirts to having to be bundled up uh, against uh, the cold and the wind. So yeah, a lot that I had to face uh, weather-wise along the way. How'd you keep your mind occupied with the solitude out there? Well, um, Fortunately, I did have uh, earbuds that I wore and uh, the Jabra Elite uh, 75T earbuds. They got this really cool feature uh, for hear through. So that way, um, even if I wanted to listen to something, I could still hear what's going on in my surroundings, you know, in case there was like other hikers or maybe a bear or, or something like that, that I had to tune into. So um, podcasts and audiobooks were um, a pretty big thing just because dealing with the solitude at the very least, at least I could hear like human voices, I, I suppose, you know, that was one of the things. And obviously just a great opportunity just to take in a lot of information and, and learn a lot of things, you know, because it's like, what else was I really supposed to do? And I didn't really typically listen to podcasts or audiobooks during the first couple hours of the day, just so that way, yeah, I can just kind of uh, make it a more of a meditative experience being out in nature like that. But after a while, though, it's just it, it kind of starts to lose its luster. It's like, OK, yep, just another tree, just another rock, just another root on the trail, just another this. You know, you've seen them countless times over. So it can get a little bit stale at times. <laughs> so, so, yes, uh, podcasts and audiobooks and music were, you know, a very welcome companion on the trail for sure. Which audiobooks? Um. I dove into a couple of uh, fiction, a little bit of fiction and a little bit of nonfiction. Um, I'm really, as far as fictions is concerned, I'm really enjoying uh, Jack Carr's uh, James Reese series, um, where his main protagonist is a Navy SEAL that, you know, has his own set of adventures and uh, threats that he faced. Um, I'm also a really big fan of uh, the Mitch Rapp series, uh, which was originally started by Vince Flynn, but now has been uh, taken over by Kyle Mills. Um as far as uh, nonfiction uh, is concerned, uh, the um, the Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter was a book that I've read, which was uh, really good and also very fitting for what I was doing. You know, just being in this uncomfortable situation out in nature. You know, there was a lot of correlations between what I was experiencing on the trail as well as uh, what I was. Uh, um, re listening to on the audiobook. Um, I'm also a, a really big fan of uh, Jack Donovan's books. Um, 
like the way yep. of men and also becoming a barbarian. And then of course I got his latest book, um, uh, fire in the dark that I was yeah, listening reading to that one right now. That's an awesome yeah, book. Yeah. 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 Really, really good, really good author and a really good writer, uh, that I, that I like to uh, listen to. I, I also got into, um, a, a lot of history books. Um, I'm, I was listening to a book, um, the title is escaping me right now, but it was um, it was about pirates and the history of piracy and talking about some of the early uh, pirates like Henry Avery and also leading into some of the Caribbean pirates like, you know, Charles Vane and mm-hmm. uh, and Blackbeard, of course. So dove into a, a little bit of those. Um, the Warrior Ethos by uh, Stephen Pressfield was another uh, quick listen that I had out there. Um, I also listened to uh, As a Man Thinketh, which, again, the author there alludes me to. So, so when it, so a lot of uh, self-development books when it came to uh, nonfiction is what I tuned into. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, with, uh, uh, did you run into any wildlife, any bears? <laughs> unfortunately, no. And I say, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people would say, well, you know, that's a good thing, right? You didn't uh, come across uh, any bears, but there's a weird thing with me, Chris, where, when it comes to apex predators in the wild, I, I love seeing them, you know, from a distance, of course, just 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 because it, it kind of just seeing an animal that's that powerful that, yes, it can. It, it's just bears, alligators, all those apex predators, you know, they walk around and just no one messes with them because they're the top notch uh, head honcho of their environment, like alligators, for instance, when I used to live in Florida. I love seeing them because, you know, those were dinosaurs that have never had to evolve after being on this planet for millions of years. And same thing when I see bear, when I would see a bear too, because, you know, it's an apex predator that, you know, just dominates this space. So that would have been really cool uh, to see. But the closest I uh, got to seeing them though, was bear prints in the sand and also some bear scat every now and then. Mm -hmm. Um, And then lots of coyotes that I've heard. Um, there's been a couple of nights too, where I've heard wolves howl in the distance, which yeah, um, they have wolves up in Michigan, right? They, 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 they sure do. And, uh, didn't see uh, any wolves, uh, again, and again, may, may have seen wolf prints on the trail too. A lot of animals like to follow the trail because animals, they're not too dissimilar from humans. They prefer the path of least resistance, just how most people would. So, um, so yeah, either wolf prints or just really, really large dogs is what I saw on the trail. I'm probably going to say it was the, it, it was the former that I saw, but then besides that though, most of the wildlife that I saw were just your, your tiny creatures, you know, chipmunks and squirrels and the occasional white tailed deer I did see and did see a couple of bald eagles fly overhead, which was pretty cool. So, but that's about the extent of it though. So as far as wildlife was concerned, Nah, not quite as much as I was hoping for. <laughs> Did, um, so when you slept, were you sleeping close to the trail? Did you sleep outside most of the time or, or like do a hotel every once in a while? Yeah, most nights were spent outside. And most of the areas along the trail, they allow uh, what's called dispersed camping. So you could pretty much set up your tent anywhere uh, you want. You know, they they have some guidelines like you want, they want you to be at least 50 feet uh, off the trail. Um, but there were a couple of times where I'll, I'll be in like a really condensed area where 
there's either a lot of like steep rock features that the trails along, or it's just so dense with vegetation that I pretty much, you know, unless if I want to just bushwhack an entire clearing where I would just have to set up right there on the trail and it would, it would start getting so dark that, you know, I kind of had to do what I had to do. So most nights were definitely spent outside. There were, uh, a couple of nights when I would make it into a town when I would, uh, yeah, rent a hotel for a night or two. But th- there was also a lot of times where I would stay with uh, Trail Angels. And Trail Angels, it's a network of people along the North Country Trail where they will welcome hikers into their homes and put a roof over their head, provide them food, or maybe some Trail Angels will just provide transportation. So, yeah, there was a couple of times where total strangers welcomed me into their homes and, uh, and sheltered me, you know, as I was needing a rest or something like that. So that happened, uh, quite a bit, actually, like it, for, for the, uh, the entire lower peninsula, when I wasn't sleeping on the trail, I was more or less, uh, staying with trail angels. And there was maybe like two to three nights the entire time in the lower peninsula where I had to get hotels. Okay. Okay. We're, um, what's the longest you went without a shower? Five days. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Probably probably felt good after that, right? Oh, 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 yeah. It's just being out on the trail for that long. You know, so much stuff that people that we would normally take for granted, you know, you just feel so grateful to have it once you've been deprived of it for, for that long. Everything from a hot shower to a comfy bed to a nice uh, hot meal is just... Yeah, you almost get teary-eyed uh, when you have it after like five days of not having those things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you, you got the trail angels, you know, you're going along the trail. What's the scariest moment that you had while you're out there? The scariest moment. Hmm. Were there any scary moments? I, I would, I wouldn't say that there was any moments that like scared me necessarily. If I ever really came across any trouble on the trail, it just more or less added additional stress to what it was that, that I was doing. You know, there was a couple of precarious moments where like, um, I would have to like cross like a river. And, uh, the only thing that was going across the river was just like a log that someone just suspended over there. So just making sure I don't lose my balance and fall in Mm -hmm. precarious situations like that. But there was just stressful moments where, um, and there's this thing that kind of sort of happened to me that I that I called uh, the curse of the last mile, where the last mile of uh, any given day usually had something just annoying as hell to throw at me, whether it was loose sand on the trail or a lot of deadfall, or in some cases, beaver dams would flood the trail and I would have to try to find some way to get around all the flooding to get back on the trail again. So, so just like kind of stupid shit like that is really what, what I face, but I, I can't really recall like any moments where I was just thinking to myself, well, Oh shit, like I'm about to die or I'm about to get seriously hurt or anything like that. You know, yeah. N- nothing like that really uh, happened along the way. Just again, some annoyances that I just had to sort of kind of deal with in the moment. That's about the extent of it. Was there any elevation? Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, Especially in the western uh, upper peninsula. There's a section of the trail there that goes through an area called the Trap Hills, which were probably like some of the greatest elevation gains that one would get on the entire North Country Trail. And uh, so I would spend a good amount of time, yeah, just ascending uh, uphill 
and uh, definitely would get a little bit winded because this was still fairly early on in the trek. So I was still kind of trying to build up some stamina and some strength in my legs with having to do all that walking. So it would tucker me out quite a bit. And then, of course, going up was fairly easy compared to going down because you'd have to go down these fairly steep inclines as, as well. And, uh, you know, it's hard on your knees, it's hard on your ankles and your feet and everything like that. But that was still one of my favorite areas because once you're up on top of uh, these vistas, you just got some incredible views mm -hmm. that just really make it all worth it, man. It's like, I tell you, you're up on these vistas, there's nothing in your way. It is just nothing but forest below you as far as the eye can see. And, um, you know, I'll probably have to send some photos uh, your way if you want to, you know, post them to go along yeah, with this episode. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, and one Vista, you know, that's where I decided to set up camp. And I, I pitched my tent on top of this thing. You know, it had a view of, you know, the sunset going over this valley below me and zero percent chance of rain that night, too. So I just kept the vestibule off my tent and I just stargazed as I was going to sleep. So it, even though it was hard dealing with that elevation gain, it's just that was one of my most fondest memories of the whole thing, just because, again, how remote I was and just the views that I've had. And I've it, and it was something I would never had expect that my state would be because, you know, growing up in the lower peninsula, I was just used to Michigan being flat farmland for the most part. And then to see Michigan like this, man, it was awesome. And awesome. so, yeah, it's so, cool. very That's cool. Uh, tell me a little bit about this organization uh, that, that you're supporting through this track. Right. Um, American Veterans uh, Archaeological Recovery, or AVAR uh, for short. They're a nonprofit that takes veterans um, out into the field to do uh, archaeological digs and all around the world, too. And, you know, there's a lot of ways that uh, veterans can benefit uh, from this. Um, but I think kind of the three that sort of stand out to me the most that I usually uh, like to share, you know, besides the travel and the adventure, because, again, they're doing them um, on dig sites in many places around the world. But, you know, giving veterans a chance to connect with other veterans again, you know, because mm -hmm. as we know, when we separate and we're no longer with uh, the brotherhood and we don't have that camaraderie. Um, as close as we had uh, before, it could be a pretty different, difficult transition for many veterans. So this will get them kind of working shoulder to shoulder again with other veterans to do archaeology and then also just kind of give them a new focus, um, a new mission. Um, because, um, again, when we're on active service, we know what our mission is. It's very apparent to us. But, you know, once we uh, leave active service, our next mission may not entirely be in sight. And so uh, being out in the field doing archaeology gives veterans a chance to achieve tangible results, because as you're digging, whether it's an excavation unit or a shovel test or whatever else, you can actually see the fruits of your labor as you uh, start to unearth things. And, and also, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool feeling when you unearth an artifact that's been lost to the world for hundreds or maybe even thousands of years. So that's kind of a cool thing. I think a lot of veterans would appreciate. Mm -hmm. And then also... One thing I like about this um, organization is they try to make it more of a program. And what I mean by that is it's not something where they just say, all right, come do this cool thing with us for a couple of weeks. And then we're going to just plop you right back in the same place that you were before you came here. You know, it's to try to hopefully set them down a path to where they can achieve, achieve success in their lives. Uh, and for some, that may very well even be becoming a professional archaeologist. 
And of course, and if that's the path that they wish to pursue, well, now they have some field experience. They now have some references that they could put on um, a resume. And there's even been a couple of times where um, I've coached a couple of uh, the veterans who've participated on digs, you know, because they want to go into um, go to school, start going to school. And so they would ask me what my experiences were like when I went to grad school um, to pursue archaeology. So really good uh, organization all around. And, you know, they've done some pretty cool jet, um, digs, digs that actually make me pretty envious of the veterans that got to participate. Um, back in July, they were in the south of England. They were excavating uh, the crash site of a B-24 Liberator bomber plane that oh, crashed wow. during World War II. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, their next dig after that was in Sicily, where they were excavating the crash site of a P-38 Lightning fighter plane. Wow. So, wow. so I'm like, damn, man, I wish I could have gotten on those digs. But I was really glad that you know there, was, there were veterans that had a chance to participate on those digs and get to experience uh, something like that. So... So yeah, that's the nonprofit that I was raising money for. And like I said, I set a goal to raise uh, 10 grand. And um, the day of I, me finishing the track, I successfully reached uh, that goal too. And donations are still coming in. So I yeah, couldn't, yeah, be, you're couldn't be it happier. Open, man, right? So like, yep. where, where can people go and, and donate? Uh, if anyone's interested in donating, uh, you can go to gofundme.com slash Wolverine walk. Um, Operation Wolverine walk was the name of uh, this trek that I took. I don't know if I mentioned that at the beginning, mm -hmm. but so Wolverine walk um, is where they can go on uh, GoFundMe to if they want to leave a donation. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what's next for you? What, what are you working on next? Right. Well, um, you know, for first, first and foremost, enjoying holidays uh, with family. That's my um, immediate focus. Uh, there's um, a couple of other things I'm looking into. I'm potentially looking into some media work to maybe uh, be uh, an expert presenter um, in, in, in media, you know, um, organizations like History Channel, Discovery Channel, you know, they're always looking for experts. And so I'm kind of linking up with an old contact of mine who might be able to make connections for me. We'll see how that goes. Um, potentially looking at like uh, getting back in the field, doing archaeology again. Uh, but I probably might look in the private sector to do that. Um, the last few stints that I did were with uh, the federal sector, like the National Park Service and the Forest Service. So I think I might try my hand in the private sector. Now, as far as like grand adventures go, it's it's kind of hard uh, to, to say at this point. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be looking for another long distance through hike like I did this time around because it did take quite a bit to, <laughs> to, to plan it all and, you know, to put my life on hold for four months. Um, so I think I'm going to kind of sort of um, get a little bit of variety um, again, back to doing physical activity. I definitely want to do some hypertrophy training because I did lose a lot of mass out there. Mm -hmm. Like I, I lost 15 pounds in the three and a half months that I was out there. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So I definitely want to get some hypertrophy training to, you know, start putting some size on again. And I really want to get back on the mats doing jujitsu again too, because cool. that was, that was another thing I had to put on hold as I was training and getting, getting ready to go out there and do this. So getting back on the mats again, and um, I also want to think about um, what Misogi event I want to do next. And uh, Misogi was a term that I learned that I read about in uh, the comfort crisis. It's a Japanese term. I can't remember exactly what it translates to. But the idea behind it is once a year, 
you do something very, very physically challenging and it could really be whatever you want, but there's a couple of uh, rules and guidelines to think about. The biggest rule is it has to be very hard. Like you have a 50, 50% uh, chance of uh, completing it. And the second rule is don't die. (laughs) So, but, but there's a few other guidelines that he mentions in the book too. Um, As far as one, another thing, making it a novel thing, where um, you know you're probably one of few people who would actually who's who's actually done or attempted something like you're doing, you know. So things like running a marathon or maybe doing like um, an obstacle course race, you know, would be a very challenging thing for many people to complete. But you're doing it alongside so many other people, so it's not really necessarily a novel thing that you're doing. And then also um, not telling a lot of people about it. You know, because I think a lot of people will go to social media to talk, you know, themselves up about it. And so they hold themselves accountable to other people to do it. But if you don't tell anyone, you're only accountable to yourself to actually go out and do it. Yeah. So so I like I really like that idea. So I'm thinking to be thinking about maybe a Misogi event for um for 2022. I mean, obviously Wolverine Walk was mine for 2021. So we'll see what I can come up with uh, for 2022. But obviously at this point, you know, to, for the sake of uh, only holding myself accountable to it, not telling anyone. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool, man. That's cool. Well, dude, uh, it's been great catching up with you, man. Uh, Really, really like what you're doing here. Um, Are you going to start your podcast again soon? Um, Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, You know, it's just, uh, it's been nice been to kind of sort of enjoy uh, this uh, production break, which, which where I'm at. I mean, the podcast obviously is still open. People can go back and download and listen to all, all the episodes. So um, it's just going to be really a matter of, yeah, just kind of getting myself uh, readjusted now that I'm back. And of course, get used to the fact that I don't have to wake up and go hiking every single day. So, yeah. So, yeah. So we'll, yeah, yeah. So we'll see what the future has in store for me, whether or not I'm going to continue down the whole travel, uh, blogging, podcasting space, or if I pursue something else entirely, it's still kind of up in the air. Well, one way or another, keep your voice out there. You got a great message and it's super inspiring. You know, this, this whole Masogi concept is, is pretty awesome. I think that, um, you know, not only physically, you should challenge yourself mentally with new things. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I just got into comedy. Um, just trying to, Oh yeah, I saw that do a new thing, you know what I mean? And I think like, more of us in the community start doing these types of things, I think can have such a huge impact, you know, yep. on the community, but also on the country. The country's just such a screwed up place right now. And I think like it's it's really time for for people from our community to be stepping up, you know? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, you know, because seeing everything, because obviously I'm st- I was still connected through social media and I'm seeing everything that's been unfolding in the country these past uh, couple of months. And I can't think about the fact that, you know, veterans, you know, you may no longer be on active service, but, you know, your mission isn't over. Your fight's not over yet because this country still very much needs veterans. You know, we need people who have good leadership skills. We need them in our communities. We need them in our schools. We need them in our homes, most importantly. And, you know, we also need just people with grit, you know, those that could yeah. spit on their hands and get shit done. And I think most importantly, over above all else, based on what we've been seeing is that, you know, this country just needs people who love it because yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, I don't feel that from 
a lot of people who are who are in power right now. I just do not look at them or listen to what they say and get the impression that they love this country. I mean, I just don't. So, I mean, but I know veterans do. And that's why, yeah, I really want them to step up more and more and put their voice out there as well. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Well, Josh, again, really great, uh, really great talking to you. Throw that, uh, throw that GoFundMe link out one more time. GoFundMe.com slash Wolverine Walk. Awesome. Awesome. To everybody out there, I hope you got a lot from this conversation. Um, some of these concepts are are super valuable. The the whole Masogi concept, you know, going out there and trying to do some difficult things. Um, you know, if you've got an interest in trying to take up archaeology, I think Josh's organization is is a really great way of doing that. And uh, make sure you're keeping up and following Josh. What's your uh, Instagram handle again? Um, all around adventure, one word, no dashes. You can follow me there. Outstanding. Well, guys, get out there and live your best lives while you can. This is Chris Albert and Josh Guerrero, and we are 